applaud. Yeah, rightly so. I said to Matt this morning, I know that God has put something on him and he needs to just open his mouth and let it fall out and we will receive it and we will be changed by it because that's what we want to do when the word of God is preached. So get your notepads out, get your listening ears ready. This guy's got something to bring us. No pressure, all right? Thanks, Mel. Uh, Matt is a worship leader here in the church, but he's more than a worship leader. So he has a heart for the church. He has a heart to lead people, to see people reach their potential. He has a heart for Jesus to be made known. He is, if you don't know him yet, he's awesome, all right? So Matt Yates. Thanks, Mel. That was a great introduction. Thank you, Mel. <laughs> Morning, Real Life Church. It's like being in a year seven assembly, I love it. By the time they get to year eight, they stop saying hello. It's really sad. So I look forward to year seven. Um, before we get started this morning, I think we need to celebrate and affirm those people who have come in their best Christmas jumpers this morning. So <laughs> if you're in a Christmas jumper, give us a wave, just so I know I'm not on my own. Great job, guys. I know there's a load more out in kids' work. And in a minute, I'm going to ask some questions. And if we don't get them right, and no one wins the prizes, it's the Christmas jumpers that get them. Is that fair? That's fair? Brilliant. Um, as Mel said, my name's Matt. If you don't know me, um, my wife and I do lead the worship team here together. Um, that's one of our responsibilities. We're also part of kind of the leadership team that meets to talk through where the church is going, the vision, the future. I get the occasional opportunity to preach, so thank you very much for letting me. Hopefully I'll say something that makes sense this morning. Um, we moved up here not right at the beginning, but when the church was still meeting at Bannersgate Community Hall. Um, there was about 10, 12, 15 people back then, and now here we are, kind of third venue along, not including your home, which is where it probably started, um, you know, over 100 people meeting regularly in this building, celebrating Jesus together, gathering people together, and it's, it's just such a privilege to be part of this church, so I'm really glad we listened to God, we followed God, and we came here to be part of this, so thank you for having us. Um, I've got the pleasure this morning of kicking off the Christmas series. Um, I was very pleased when Stuart asked me to do this. So we're talking about Christmas today, hence the, the celebration of the jumpers. Now, the theme for this season, this series, is the Christmas number one. So every year there's a great debate, isn't there? Everyone wants to be. Who's going to be the Christmas number one this year? Who's going to make it to that final spot? Is it going to be the X Factor? Is it going to be that kind of thing? Or is it going to be a slightly more classic song? Is it going to be a Christmas song? Just who is going to get there, okay? So my question to you this morning is who do you think are the most successful Christmas number one record holders, okay? I'm not going to include things like Band-Aid because that's kind of, there's so many people involved in that. Um, so I'm trying to not count those, but who do we think? And I'm going to ask you just to shout at me. So who do we think are the most successful Christmas number one record holders? And if you're anywhere near me, I'll get this. Wham. Cliff Richard, Bing Crosby, Slade. We, we Mr. Blobby. We're still, not in, we're still not in the top three. Ah, we're getting closer with the Beatles. So I'll give Neil a chocolate. Be a bit more specific for me. Paul McCartney. So Paul McCartney is the daddy of Christmas number ones. He has actually been number one at Christmas on eight separate occasions. Okay, with the Beatles on his own, and he was involved in Band-Aid, but he is the most successful. So come on, who else is going to be up there? Someone say Cliff Richard. Yeah. Yeah. Who say Cliff Richard? Yeah. 
There you go. I'll give you a chocolate as well then. So we've got Cliff Richard. He has had four Christmas number ones. Two solo, one shadows, and one in band-aids. Number three, who's had the most? Pardon? I'm not going to count. I can't go there. There's one more band. More, more recent. <laughs> Stuart, you're just behind. <laughs> okay, so Spice Girls. Spice Girls? Three in a row. Three in a row. So the Spice Girls had three Christmas number ones in a row. Did someone say, did I hear out there something to the Queen or Bohemian Rhapsody? Yep. So Bohemian Rhapsody has been Christmas number one twice. It's the only song to be sung by the same band and make Christmas number one twice. So that's quite an accolade. And that was my top four, I think. So I'm going to stop there. So I've got two chocolates. Who's got the best Christmas jumper? Uh, <laughs> sorry, my wife put her hand up first. <laughs> oh, I'm trying to find a Christmas jumper. I know there's more right there. There you go, guys. Okay, so Christmas number one. So fortunately, Christmas number one hopefully means a lot more to most of the people sitting in this room. We know that we're in the great position of knowing that Jesus is the Christmas number one, and obviously that's what this season is about. That's what we're going to be talking about. Without Jesus, this this season has no meaning. It has no purpose. He's the reason for everything we celebrate. He's the reason we're saved. He's the reason we can stand here today, stand before our Father in heaven, worship him in a really personal and intimate way. So we are going to be talking about Jesus as we go on. And this is the key thing, isn't it? No one can knock him from that spot. So the night before the charts come out, you listen to the radio, you listen to the TV, they say, who's going to make it to Christmas number one this year? Who is going to get that position this year? But that's just not the case with Jesus. There is no question about who is going to be the actual Christmas number one. It will be Jesus, it always was Jesus, and it always will be Jesus. Okay, And that's kind of where this... Um, series is going to go. So I'm going to talk this morning about the fact Jesus has always been number one since the beginning. Melanie's going to talk to us next week at the Christmas service about the Christmas story. And then Stuart's going to kind of bring it back at the end and talk about the fact that Jesus always will be number one and looking to the future, I believe. (laughs) Brilliant. So Christmas series, here we go. Um, I love music. We've talked about music already. And, And songs generally tell us a story. Okay, from early kind of historical records, how were stories passed from person to person, tribe to tribe, community to community? It was through song, okay? And there is good evidence that when we link the truth, the words, the story, whatever it might be, with something else, it engages more of our brain and we're more likely to remember it. So when we link truth with melody, it helps us to remember that truth. We do this at school. We try and link facts with other things. We say to the kids, if you just read it, probably not going to remember it. If you read it and speak it using kind of two bits of your brain, you're more like, I know it doesn't work quite like that, but you get the idea. Um, We're kind of more likely to remember it. If you read it, speak it, and write it, draw it all colourful, you're being a bit more creative, you're more likely to remember it. And we've actually gone as far, um, there was evidence to support this, if you revise with certain aftershave or perfume on, Okay, so the concept is this, you revise in maths, you get your maths bottle, you spray it on you, you revise your maths. 
You go into the exam wearing the same perfume. The smells, the environment reminds you of what you were revising when you smelt that smell, and you go into the exam, you're more likely to remember it. Okay? And actually, if you think about it, that kind of makes sense to me, because there are certain smells, the smell of pastry cooking in the morning, the smell of sausage rolls baking in the oven. Straight away, I'm back in my mum and dad's house. I'm there on Christmas morning. I'm thinking, the sausage rolls are about to come out of the oven, the mince pies are about to come out, but the memories are all triggered by those smells and those sensations around me. So, so I kind of I hold to this one, I have tried it, and it has been relatively successful. Um, Think about famous songs, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. You know, that is a truth that we know, but it's a truth that so many people know. Even kids at school know this, that have had to sing songs at school. They've, they've remembered that truth. It's famous, okay, because it's an amazing truth, obviously, but for a lot of people, it's about the melody, it's about how they've remembered it. And most of these stories kind of told through music, told through um, these melodic phrases that are going to help us to remember them. They need a beginning, a middle, and an end. And without all three parts, they're just not going to make sense. We take the beginning, the scene is set, the characters, they're introduced. We find out where the characters are from, um, where did they originate, what is it about their, their kind of who they are and the way they act, how do they look, how do they dress, who are their parents, where did they live, we find out all this information, it draws us in, and then we think to ourselves, now I know that person really well, I want to know more, I want to know what's going to happen, I want to know the middle of the story now, the twists, the turn, the plot, what's going to happen, the excitement, the, the highs, the lows, what is going to happen? And if you've ever watched a box set or a series on TV, just raise your hand for me. Okay. Now keep your hand up for me if you've ever got to about 10, 11 o'clock at night, depending on who you are, you know you need to go to bed, but you just, I just, just one more, one more, Phil turns around, she looks at me with that look of, you don't need to go to bed, let's, let's just see if Kenzie and, Kenzie and Deeks get together, what's going to happen? So for me, I know I'm in that camp, but it's gripped me, we care about those characters, we care, well Phil cares, if Kenzie and Deeks get together. I care, this is NCISLA, sorry if you don't watch it. I care if um, Callan's going to get out of his sticky situation. Is he going to escape from the submarine? I'm not going to tell you. Um, but all these things are important, you know, they've, kind of, they've gripped us into that storyline. Would I care as much if I didn't know his backstory? Would I care as much if I didn't know about where Callan's come from, how he's searching for his identity, how he's trying his very best to help other people? And I don't think I would. Um, just give you another quick one before we move on to the passage for today. But um, sometimes I've tried reading books in bed, and I just, you know, I've read a chapter. I thought oh, it was all right. Read another, it's, it's okay. But it's just not gripping me. I thought I, I, just, I can't get into this character. I can't get into this storyline. And I've persevered. I've, I've, yeah, that's enough. And I've got a pile of them under my bed. I've got books that I've read that I've really enjoyed, but some of these books they just don't grip you. Okay. So what we need to look at this morning is who this person of Jesus is and make sure that that truth is gripping us into his story, therefore we're wanting to know more about him. And all stories should have an ending, shouldn't they? A conclusion that tells us this is the wrap-up, this is where it finishes, this is the truth, this is what the future holds. And that, again, that's kind of where we're going over this period. We're going to look at one quick Christmas song. Um, I thought it would be nice to just come over here and play the piano a little bit, it would be quite nice. Um, so just think about a Christmas song. Put the first slide up for me, Jamie. Okay? Just imagine this song. 
Led them down the streets of town right to the traffic cop. He only paused a moment when he heard them holler, stop. Okay, now imagine if that was the first section of this song. Now, what we've just introduced is a character. I'll tell you it's Frosty, because he didn't say that in that bit of the song. So this Frosty the Snowman has come along. He's come in front of a traffic cop, and he didn't listen to the traffic cop. Actually, he's kind of eyeballing him a bit there, isn't he? And he said, actually, I'm not going to listen to you. And then the traffic cop says, no, you will. And it, okay, he does listen, and he moves on. So this song at the moment, for me, is about a delinquent snowman. This is a snowman running riot in the streets of town, and he's not even listening to the traffic cop until the very last minute when he thinks, okay, maybe I will. Okay? Now, if the story started here, I think we'd have a slightly different picture of the snowman. But as it should be, it should be like this, shouldn't it? Frosty the snowman, sing along if you want. Jolly happy soul, with a concord pipe and a button nose, and two eyes made out of coal. Frosty the snowman was fairy tale, they say. He was made of snow, but the children know how he came to life one day. So now we've got a much jollier, happier introduction to our story. Here was some children gathering in the field, making a snowman. They found a silk hat, they popped it on his head, and he came to life. Okay, this snowman came to life. Obviously, I'm not saying this is true. Okay. Um, <laughs> So he's come to life, and already I'm a little bit more gripped with this snowman. He's, he's made by children. The hat brought him to... What's going to happen? You know, and suddenly, as we go through the song, we find out that this snowman was just trying to enjoy his short time on this earth with the children. They'd made him... I'm bring a tear to my eye here. They'd made this snowman. They knew there was a short time because the sun was coming up. And we knew it was going to end eventually. So actually, the snowman was running around town just trying to have some fun. Okay? And when he came across that policeman, it wasn't that he's a nasty snowman. He's not a delinquent snowman. He was just trying to make the most of his time, the most of his life. So maybe we can forgive him for a little bit of rudeness. But for me, it changes the tone. I'll show you one more picture. Then I promise we'll look at the Bible. What if the story started here? <laughs> okay? It's a puddle. It's a girl in a puddle, isn't it? It's a girl in a puddle. Now, someone just said, oh, no. But if the story started here, we wouldn't say, oh, no, would we? Surely the question would be, why is this girl crying over a puddle? Is she crying because her dad's hat's fallen in the puddle? It's got a little bit soggy? I don't know. But without the backstory, without the introduction, without the bit where actually we know he's just trying his very best to fit into this world for his short time on Earth, this picture to me actually doesn't mean a lot. Okay, so it's really important we go back to the beginning, which is where we're going to go now, and we're going to read to get, oh, it's going to come from the screen, but we'll read from Colossians. Okay, and then we're going to look through this passage, and I promise you we'll talk about Jesus. So it says here, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see, he made the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead, so he is first in everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ 
And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. And that is our introduction for our Christmas story. Um, this letter that we're going to look into in a bit more detail, if you just flick to the next one, is, um, it was a letter written by Paul to the Colossians. Okay, and these letters were written for a purpose, for a reason. Okay, and in this particular case, he was writing to the Colossians just to kind of remind them some of the truth. Some of the truth where maybe they'd gone a little bit astray. And if you imagine the situation, because this is kind of early church, isn't it? So you've got new converts, new believers hearing the truth, hearing the stories, hearing that this is how we should try and live our lives, all the important truth. This is who Jesus is. This is how he's reconciled us to God. And they were giving their lives to him. But they lived in a community that for hundreds, thousands of years had kind of worshipped in different ways. You've got the Jewish population who had their rules, they had their rituals. And we read in the Bible, don't we, for some of those it was quite hard to go into this new covenant because they were so used to the old covenant. So you've got, let's imagine I'm a new believer, I'm living in this community, but over here is a whole bunch of people who are still following the Jewish faith, they're still abiding by the holy days, the food rituals, this is clean, this is unclean. And I'm saying, actually, no, Jesus says... Jesus says, I can eat any of that now because I'm living in the new covenant. I don't need to live that way. But I'm still going around to their house for dinner. So I might go around to Paul and Catherine's for dinner, and they might say, this is how we're going to prepare our food. And I might say, that's great for you, brilliant. Obviously, I'm not going to be rude to you. I'm going to come and eat the food. But then I go home that evening, and I start questioning again, thinking, well, okay, this is what I think Paul and the disciples said. This is what I learned from that truth. This is what they're doing. And I'm, I'm trying to balance the two up again. And maybe some of that starts to creep back into the way I live my life. And then, I don't mean to be rude when I say this, but then there's also pagan communities, aren't there, living around us. And I'm going into some of those homes, and they have their ways. And they say, actually, you know, we, um, we believe in angels. We believe in principalities, and we think they're amazing, we think, you know, these, um, these creative things are amazing. The angels, they help us to talk to God, uh, and they're really important. So actually, we, what we like to do before we have dinner is to celebrate the angels, to celebrate the principalities. And we like to say, wow, aren't they amazing? And then I'm walking away again thinking, well, I, th- I thought Jesus was the one we should be celebrating. I thought Jesus was the one we should be worshipping. Um, but they're saying it's the angels that are helping us talk to God. And I'm getting confused, and I'm getting a little bit confused. Then this letter arrives, and this letter is partly Paul's way of trying to straighten out some of this slightly wonky theology, some of these ideas that have crept in. It's not that I'm, a, I'm deliberately going against these things. I'm living in this society, and I'm a bit confused. I'm finding it a bit difficult. So Paul comes in with this, and he says, bam, remember, this is the truth. This is what you stick to. And now I've got this letter and I can go back to it and I can say, brilliant, that is the truth. That is the line. Sorry, guys, I love what you're doing, but I'm not going to eat that food because this is what Jesus said I can do. Sorry, guys, I'm not going to worship those angels because I'm going to worship Jesus and Jesus created the angels. That's the line I'm going to stick to. So he was just straightening out some of that. And he did it in this passage... And if you look, it's kind of printed a bit differently to normal. It's not a big paragraph, because this was actually a hymn. Okay? And again, we're not entirely sure if this was a hymn written by Paul, or if it was a hymn someone else had written, and Paul was just referring to it and reciting it. But there's a pattern to the way this is written. 
there's kind of, even as you kind of flick through it, there's almost like a chorus verse, chorus verse structure. Again, they're not quite sure, but it's, you can see actually there's something about it. It's a little bit different. It's not a big section of prose, but it was referring to a hymn. And again, that just permeates, echoes with me and says, actually, this is a truth that needed to be remembered. It needed to be sung on the streets. It needed um, to be really clear. So how did Paul communicate that truth? He did it through song again. Because he linked those words, that truth, to a melody. Don't know what it was, but I imagine it was very good. I imagine there was a hook to it. It was quite repetitive. Um, It helped people to remember this. But he wanted them to remember this. He wanted them, I think, to to walk around the streets almost singing this song. So it's always going around my head. And if you think about kind of some of the truth you know... Um, I've mentioned before um, Delta, when she first started singing Happy Day. She came away from church. Oh, happy day, you washed my skin away. Um, so at that point, she'd, she kind of got the melody, but she hadn't quite got the truth right. But now we can laugh with her, and she's fine about it, and she knows, actually, Jesus washed my sin away. I've heard other people say to me, the, the kids have been walking around the house, just going, I am loved by him, I am loved by him. And that truth has stuck with them. They're literally walking around their schools and their homes singing, I am loved by Jesus. And this is what we want, isn't it? Most recently, we've had um, The Hero, which was written by the guys in the worship team. But again, I love these stories of kids walking around saying, Jesus, my hero. And they're literally walking around, pumping the air, saying, Jesus is my hero. And they're singing that truth. And I think, um, you know, part of the reason this was done as a hymn is because Paul wanted these people, these young Christians, to be walking around saying, look, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created, and he's supreme over all creation. And it kind of stuck with them because they would have been singing, I'm not going to try and put a melody to it because it will come out all wrong. Um, But I think there's a reason it was written in this way. So we're just going to pop through a few of these verses. Um, So it starts with, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. It says in Hebrews, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. It says in John 14, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Talking about, that's Jesus talking. God chose to reveal himself to us, okay? He didn't reveal himself to us because we came knocking on the door and said, please God, show yourself, okay? Jesus existed in the beginning. Jesus was made, or Jesus is the image of God, And he was there before anything created, and he was always part of God's plan to reveal himself to us. That was part of Jesus' mission statement. He was made as the visible image of the invisible God. That's who he was. Sorry. Okay, that's who he was. And I'm sort of careful what I say there, because it says that he existed before anything was created. So actually, he... I shouldn't use the phrase he was made, so apologies, just strike that from the tape. Um, he, was, he was there in the beginning. It's not like God said, right, here I am, God the Father. What am I going to do? I'm going to make Jesus in my image because I'm going to need him to do this for me, and then I'm going to make the Holy Spirit to do that role over there. Well, I'm not going to even try and explain the Trinity because I can't do it, but Jesus existed in the beginning. He was there before anything was created. Therefore, that says quite plainly to me, um, he was there before anything was created. Therefore, he was there at the very beginning. I can't really work out exactly how that works. I don't know what happened before creation. But he was there. 
everything was made through Jesus. All creation came through Jesus. Therefore, again, it just tells you, well, Jesus must have been there at the very beginning. It's not like God said, I'm going to make Jesus, then I'm going to make all creation, because he just made Jesus. And if he'd made Jesus, and everything was made through Jesus, Jesus had to be there at the beginning, otherwise he couldn't make Jesus to make the rest. So I kind of tussled with this a little bit. I thought, well, it's just simple. Jesus was there in the beginning. Jesus was there. He was there in the beginning. He was there before anything was made, and he is supreme over all of that creation because everything was made through him. And at that point, I zipped away those thoughts, and I carried on. Um, It says in John, he existed in the beginning with God. Again, not after God, with God. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. So I think we're pretty clear from the start of this that everything was created through Jesus. And he was established as supreme. He was um, established as number one. It states here again and again, he is number one, he is above everything. And if you think back to what I said about the Colossian communities, okay, where perhaps they've kind of got a bit sidetracked and started worshipping some of the angels, the principalities, and that's one of the things they think they might have been doing. They says, no, look, Jesus created everything, heavenly realms and on earth goes on, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, authorities in the unseen world. Everything was made by Jesus. So it's not the angels that we should be worshipping. It's not those things. It's Jesus we should be worshipping. And I don't think we do this, but you can see how it could be quite easily done. We could be saying to people, come to our meetings. Um, We're going to have a prayer meeting this Wednesday. Come, listen to our prophets speak. These guys are amazing. Um, You know, they speak to us. They've got amazing truth. Just listen to their wise words. They will speak into your life. They will, they will come and they will um, pinpoint things in your life. They will talk about them with you. They will help you. They are amazing. Let's put them on a little pedestal here. They are amazing. Now, we could phrase it like that, and I'm not saying our prophets aren't amazing, but we can say it differently, can't we? We can be saying, actually, come on Wednesday, meet Jesus. We believe Jesus wants to have a relationship with us, and we believe Jesus wants to speak to us. You know, we've got many people in our church who are prophets, who are prophetic, who have spiritual gifts. Jesus will speak to those people and speak into our lives. And we thank those guys and we affirm them for following in God's gifting. We say thank you guys for seeking God, for meeting with him on a daily basis, for for listening really carefully, for asking God what it is he's trying to say. But thank you for listening to Jesus and thank you, Jesus, for speaking to them. So the glory is to Jesus. There's nothing wrong with saying, guys, you led worship brilliantly today. You did an amazing job. But I would also be saying to Phil and the guys as they lead, you know, thank you for pointing us to Jesus. Thank you for singing songs with truth about who he is. Thank you for celebrating him and helping to explain a bit more about him this morning. So again, it's just keeping us absolutely focused um, on that very top. I've gone around in a bit of a circle. Okay, so is, is the message clear that I'm saying Jesus was there in the beginning? <laughs> I'm not going to say that again. Um, and all things were created through him. And that, that really is kind of the repetitive truth of what's in this. And as we go through, you see those little two lines that it starts with, he was there before anything, comes round to it again, doesn't it? He existed before anything. So that truth is important, and that's why we're looking at it today. Um, 
start thinking then about how this is going to kind of apply to us in our lives. If, if I believe this truth, hopefully you're kind of with me that this is what the passage says, he was there. Um, so if we believe this, and we, and we kind of go around singing this truth, speaking this truth, how is that going to affect how I live my life? And this kind of, for me, is a crucial bit. If I believe he was there before all creation, he's supreme over all creation, and everything was made through him, he is head of the church, he is number one, how does that affect me on a day-to-day basis? Um, and for me, it gives me real encouragement. It gives me real um, confidence to live my life on this earth. Um, I know people in this room have been through much harder situations than I have. I know that because I know some of you and I've spoken to you. Um, you know, I've experienced loss in my life. I've experienced death, and that's really challenged me. There was a period recently within the last few years that I just spent weeks, months even, going to God and saying, why, how? I've prayed, we've prayed, we've, you know, we've done everything. He said, we've gathered together, we've prayed, we've worshipped you. We said, please, Lord, come into this situation and, and change the situation. And he didn't. He didn't change the situation. And there was still loss, there was still hurt, there was still heartache. And we, we didn't know. And actually, I kept wrestling, and it kind of started to come into my times of worship, as I would be there with God on my own and in church and at prayer meetings, and I'd just be sat there in a the corner kind of thinking, but how? You're supreme over all creation. You told us to pray. I prayed. Nothing changed. And to be honest, there was never an answer, and it's one of those big kind of questions, isn't it, we tussle with. Then I look to this passage, and I say, well, Christ is number one. He is supreme over all creation. And I'm living in a fallen world. And I don't understand why this happens. And to be honest, I probably never will as long as I live on this earth. But what am I going to do from this point forward? Am I going to turn my back on Jesus and say, I don't trust you anymore? Or am I going to say, Jesus, I don't understand you. I don't understand what you've done in this situation. I don't understand why you're not speaking to me but I trust you, and I'm going to put my trust in you because you were there in the beginning. You made this world. You let me live in this world. You gave me the gift of my salvation, and this is where I live. So I'm going to give everything back to you. I'm going to trust in you for everything, and I'm not going to give up on this thing. I still don't understand, and I'm still going to come back and talk to you about it, Lord, but I trust you because you are number one. And that's the place I came to. And it was a decision. I had to go back into a time of worship and say, I don't understand. You are number one. I'm going to praise you. And it wasn't until I started to do that that I felt God kind of broke something in me. I never got the answer, but it restored my relationship with God. And there are times we don't understand, but it's about trust and it's about relationship. He is head of the church. He is head of my family. He is head of my life. And I give him my everything. And as I get closer to God, maybe I will understand it a bit more. But if I don't, I'd rather live my life with my Saviour, my Jesus, than kind of on my own, trusting in myself. I just, I just want to pause there. Um, just for a moment. We, we'll come, come to the final sum up and action in just a minute. But I just felt as I was preparing this, just to give a moment to kind of allow the Holy Spirit just to prompt some things. Um, in us. And they might be things in your own life. They might be things 
um, that you're feeling for other people. Maybe you'll bring some words of wisdom or some prophetic gifts later on about these things. But I just felt like if we're not giving Jesus everything, what we're actually doing is denying him a little bit of his sovereignty. Okay? If I don't give everything in my life that's happy and joyful, celebratory, and everything that's difficult and tough and everything that's in between, and if I hold on to that little thing, what I'm actually doing is saying, I don't trust you for everything. Therefore, deep down, I don't believe you are sovereign. I don't believe you are over everything. And I think, I feel like we're just taking a little bit of his sovereignty away. But actually, in that act of worship of saying, I trust you for everything, God, what you're actually expressing is you are over everything. You are in charge of everything. I might not understand everything, but everything is yours. Okay? So I'm literally just going to pause just for a moment um, and just ask you just to, just to listen to the voice of God. Don't listen to me. I will shut up, I promise. And just say to him, is there anything you want to deal with me this morning, speak to me about for myself or for my fellow friends and family around me? Things we just need to give back to you and actually where I've been clinging on to them, say, Jesus, this is yours. I trust you and you are sovereign even in this situation. Yeah, Jesus, you are, you are sovereign. You are over absolutely everything. And I pray now you just be dropping little gems into us, Lord, just saying, actually, I want you to give this to me. You might not have realized it, but I want you to give that to me. Um, and I pray you'll help us this morning as we declare how amazing you are um, to completely give that to you and to trust in the entirety of your sovereignty. Mm. Amen. I promise you we're on the last page now, coming into land. Um, kind of tying this back around to the music again. When we, when we look for new songs for the worship team, when we write new songs, we're always looking at our theology, the truth that we're kind of sharing and giving. And my initial thing was, I just wanted to mention a couple of songs that start in this way, because I love songs that start with this idea of the sovereignty of God. And actually, it wasn't as easy as I thought. It wasn't as easy to find songs that started right back at the beginning. A lot of our songs start with the cross, start with kind of the middle bit of the story. And that obviously is important. And we make sure we sing about Jesus and what he, who he is and what he's done all the time. But there weren't actually as many songs that went right back to the beginning um, and talked about who he was. Um, so it just kind of got me thinking on those lines. And... Um, there's a song, Hero, that we wrote um, recently. Um, we went around the worship team, Weekend Away. And what we felt at that time is we wanted to write a song of celebration. So we spent time worshipping, writing down truth. And it took us right back to that beginning. And I thought, actually, I want to kind of um, just mention that in passing. The song starts again. Excuse me for singing this out of tune. You were there in the beginning, existing before all time began. 
spoke into motion all of creation, crafted by your mighty hand. And for me, it starts with that truth. And that is where I start my place of worship. Think about other songs. Oh, Lord, my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the works thy hand hath made. Again, it starts, doesn't it, with that truth. This is who Jesus was. He was there. I'll play one more, sorry. You stood before creation, eternity in your hand. You spoke the earth into motion. My soul now to stand. Then it goes on, doesn't it? The free chorus. So what can I say? What can I do? Offer this heart, oh God. Completely to you. And the theme for this morning is Jesus, but for me it's also about songs. And just to say, you know, we, when we sing these songs, just let that truth really sink into your hearts. You know, we can throw away those first couple of lines of a song. I hate that idea, but I want to dwell on those first few lines. You were there in the beginning. You existed before all time began. That's who you are. That's where you were. That is your position. That was always the case before creation. It's still the case today, and it will be the case forevermore. And that is the position that I come to worship from. I worship Jesus, number one, my Savior. Um, Here's some little bit of echo in the background there. Um, and that's where we come to worship. So just encourage you, as a bit of an aside there, but as we, as we sing songs together in worship, just to really think, what are they saying? And I think sometimes those truths about creation kind of slip away and we move on to the next bit. But let's not rush. Let's stay there for a bit and let's think, who was Jesus? What was his position? And what did he do in the very beginning? And let's worship from that. Let's live our lives under that banner, under that truth that Jesus is sovereign over everything. One more quick example. Um, I'm in a kind of interesting phase of my life at the moment. It's probably, no, it's not probably. I look up, Phil's going to nod at me. It's the busiest I've ever been in my entire life, okay? And I'm not complaining about that. Um, And in the midst of that, I've been applying for a new job. Um, I don't know the outcome yet, okay, but I'll be, I'll be honest with you. And in the midst of um, playing at Boldmere, the Grace Church Centre, the carol service, um, messy Christmas, um, there's lots going on at the moment. At school, it's the end of term, so we're marking papers. There's data reports to fill in. I've got pupil reports to write. And in the midst of that, I've seen this job that just took my interest. It took my fancy. And I thought, ooh, that's interesting. And I've started that process of, I've applied for that job, and I've got an interview this week. And, you know, it is a really busy time, but obviously I've found time within that to make the time to write that application, to prepare for that interview. Um, 
because it's really got my interest, and I'm really, really interested in it. I think, actually, that's a job I think I could be really good in. I could make a real difference in that job. I think I could have an impact. I could use my skills, my gifting in that area. Um, but I guess my, my greatest concern about that job is my time. And I don't know if... Um, it's always a risk, isn't it, when you move from one job to the next. You don't know what life's going to be like. I know what life's like at my school. I'm busy, really busy. Um, and I know I'm not the only one, so I'm not trying to say anything funny about that. Um, but what's it going to be like? If you leave that job and start another job, life could be the same. I could manage it. It would be different. But it could be worse, couldn't it? I could be walking into a job where actually I'm going to be even busier, where I'm starting to say, have I got enough time for Jesus? Have I got enough time for my family? I don't want to be in that position. And I can honestly say this to you, that I am so at peace in this situation. And it's partly my wife's doing in pointing me back in the right direction, but it's in Jesus' hands. So when I say to Jesus, I'm really interested in this job, I want this job, I really want it, but will you go before me and will you come back and will you tell me whether I can cope with that job, whether that job is right for me? Is that job the place you want me to be to serve you, to serve my family, to serve real life church, to serve that school? all important things. Is it the right job? And I promise you, on Wednesday, I'm honestly in this place where if the answer is no, and I get a phone call that evening, and they say, no, we don't think this is the right job for you, I will be literally jumping up and down saying, thank you, Jesus, for not letting me go into a job that was not right for me at this time. If I get the job, I'll be jumping up and down celebrating, thank you, Jesus, for giving me the job I asked you for. Okay? But either way, I'm going to celebrate Jesus because I believe Jesus is sovereign in a situation. I believe that Jesus won't let me walk into that situation, get a job that is going to cause me to stumble in my walk with him or with my family. And when I visited this school, I made that really clear. And I asked them about that. I said, I'm a father, I've got young children, I've got a wife, I've got a church that I'm part of. I've got a God that I love, and this is really important to me. And I asked them about work-life balance and those things, and I put it out there right at the beginning, because that's important. I gave it to Jesus, and on Wednesday night, I'm going to celebrate regardless, because I know that Jesus is number one. I know that he put me on this earth for a purpose. I know he's sovereign in every situation, and he will give me the outcome on Wednesday that I need to be the man of God he's called me to be. Don't... But that's, that's where I want us to be, church. That's where I want us to be. I want us to be celebrating Jesus and saying, you are amazing. No matter the outcome, I might not understand it, Lord, but you are sovereign. You are number one. You are almighty in this situation. I'm going to ask the band to start coming up for me. Um, you are supreme. And my prayer this morning is you've heard that from what I'm trying to say. I'm not saying I'm perfect. I'm saying I've had ups and downs, periods of my life where I've trusted periods of my life where I've tried to do it my own way, and then someone, be it God, Jesus, be it one of my friends, has come and patted me on the shoulder and says, Matt, give it to God. And I have. And I feel in the best place I've been in for a long time. I'm absolutely exhausted, but I'm trusting in Jesus for the outcome. So we're going to spend some time worshipping that Jesus. Um, 
exalting him to that rightful place, exalting him as number one, declaring his supremacy over everything. And if in that you want to spend some time praying with each other, find me, find these guys at the front, find anyone. Just grab them and say, actually, I've realized, Jesus, that I was clinging on to that thing, and in clinging on to it, I was denying you a little bit of your sovereignty, but I give it back to you, and I say, you are over absolutely everything. So I'm going to hand over to these guys. Thank you.